What's up, everybody, and welcome to a very special edition of the Falcons Final Whistle podcast presented by, as you can see, Zaxby's. And we are doing this not directly after a game and on an audio-only podcast. We're in video mm-hmm. with three cameras and enough Zaxby's to feed the entire digital department. Thank you so much to Zaxby's for making a special delivery as we discuss the first four games of the Atlanta Falcons season. Yeah, I haven't eaten lunch today, so this is really coming in clutch for me personally. Mm-hmm. So hopefully let's let's get into this so that I can eat something. Yeah, uh, I'm just, uh, Calzies, the middle one. I'm just going to go okay. ahead and gorge everybody Calzies? else. Calzies? Calzies, yeah, that's right. Um, so yeah, so let's get into the first four games of the Falcon season so we can uh, get back to eating. And they are sitting at a 2-2 two and two record at this point. They beat the Carolina Panthers out of the gate 24-10. to 10. They had a huge uh, comeback in the fourth quarter, beating the Green Bay Packers 25-24. to 24. Lost to the Lions 20-6. to 6, And lost to the Jaguars on Sunday in London 23-7. Um, two really positive results at home. Two results that I'm sure the Falcons would like to have back, both of them on the road, the first in Detroit and the, and the second one at Wembley Stadium. If you were to say before the season, hey, they played three legitimate playoff contenders and the Panthers, and they came out of it two and two. <laughs> and the Panthers. Yeah, and the Panthers, right? <laughs> They're in their own category. Uh, took right a now. shot. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Um, <laughs> okay, back on track. Um, if you would have said that they were two and two, after playing that level of competition, you'd probably take that. Mm. As I wrote in the column after the Jaguars game, I don't know if that's so positive because I feel like the Falcons are better and maybe should have played better. I'm not saying that they automatically would have beat Jacksonville or Detroit, but could have and probably should have played better. They haven't played their best football yet. A bunch of Falcons have said that. What are y'all's impressions of the Falcons as we sit past what is not really the quarter pole anymore, but through four games at 500? Do you want me to go? Mm-hmm. All right. I think it's interesting that it's 2-0 at home and then 0-2 on the road because that tracks with Desmond Ritter's re- record alone as a quarterback. But when it comes to the Falcons as a whole, it didn't look like the same team in week three or four compared to one and two. You had the fourth quarter comeback that was everyone hoping the team was going to look like that through all four quarters rather than just at the end. And you could see resilience there with their backs against the wall. They were able to string together, as they keep saying, complimentary football. But then it just wasn't there against the Lions or even the Jaguars. So if they can get back to one and two, at least that's a better start. They want to be better than even one and two, but you don't want to go downhill from here. You don't want to go into a losing record. Like it needs to either stay split even or get better Mm. it's not going to stay split even because we're coming on an odd number but Mm. I don't it's a slippery slope I think yeah my thing is is that like if I go back to what I felt in training camp and kind of in the weeks leading up to the start of the season and what I felt like this team was advertised as I thought that this this defense let's start with the defense this defense was a uh, was advertised as an attacking and aggressive defense I feel like we have seen that through four games from this defense. I've actually been very pleased with what I've seen from this defense. They have been able to keep Falcons in games and in, I think, within striking distance within those first two games. Do they have moments where, yeah, they give up an explosive or they let a quarterback leak out? Absolutely. But 
in when push comes to shove and, and in the moments that matter, I feel like this defense has consistently shown up in these first four games. So in terms of the advertising, this this defense is as advertised, in my opinion, so far. This offense is not. I and right. and I for me, when I was kind of looking at this offense going into this season, I remember, and this was something that I wrote about in the post game, and it's this whole – when we were on our way back from London, it was this idea that this Falcons offense was supposed to be fun and entertaining and explosive, and the issues that we've seen over the first four games are issues that I – I do agree with you that there is kind of this whole idea of the first two games have looked differently than the last two games – but in my opinion, if we're just looking at this offense, the issues that this offense have ha- has had, they've had from week one. They have protection issues. There are some issues with, I think, sometimes Desmond Ritter's decision-making. This offense is not producing explosive plays all that much, and they're not getting – they're not scoring touchdowns. And, and I think for me that's what's been disappointing is because you go into training camp and you see all of these weapons the Falcons have – their last three first-round picks have been offensive weapons that are kind of these very dynamic and exciting players. I mean, we can talk about Bajon Robinson and what he's done through his first four games all day long, but I need more from this offense than to only score one touchdown in the last two games. That's tough. They have. I know we're going to get into the issues with them starting early and, and starting fast, but these are all issues that I feel like are com- a complete – disconnect from what I thought this offense was going to be going into the first the first of the season and I think that's that's kind of true to what we've heard players say as well I mean Drake London said after the loss in London against Jacksonville it's like what is he was asked the question I think along the lines of what's holding this offense back and he said maybe ourselves maybe we need to look in the mirror and figure things out and i think that's exactly what needs to happen as we're looking forward into the next you know four or five games of of a stint yeah and i i think we're going to go over what the falcons have done well and maybe some pain points um a, a, and in terms of things that they can do better and we're obviously going to evaluate quarterback desmond ritter but before we get there let's address a pretty awesome deal that Zaxby's has going mm. that fans have been able to take advantage of twice already at home games. If the Falcons defense sacks <laughs> the opposing quarterback at home, you can go to any Atlanta area Zaxby's for a buy one, get one big Zach's snack meal the day after the game. And if so, if you go to the or just watch the Falcons game against Houston at home on Sunday. If they get a sack, use the code ATLSAC23 on Monday to get your BOGO deal, which sounds like a, like a good thing. So let's kind of stay on this defensive theme in terms of what has gone well. They haven't generated a ton of sacks necessarily to this point, but I think Tory's point is great. When it matters most, this defense generally stands up. You look at that Jacksonville game after Desmond Ritter's second interception that that game could have completely come unglued the Jaguars have the ball in the red zone yeah not only do they get a stop on third down but Grady Jarrett and David Onyemata get a stop on fourth down so there's no points and mm-hmm. we and we saw that time and again against Green Bay right and I think even in Detroit that third quarter 100 percent kept them in the game mm-hmm. and I, I think that when you look at it I mean I'm going to bring up Jesse Bates obviously because he's 
been involved in four takeaways mm-hmm. to this point and, and forced another fumble, I think. Yes. And he's been as advertised. Mm-hmm. David yes. Onyemata has been awesome in like in the middle. Bud Dupree, we saw come on a little bit against Jacksonville, and I think that they need more of that off the edge. Mm-hmm. But o- overall, you're right. They've, they've given up a couple of explosives that they would like to have back. Mm-hmm. But I think overall, this defense has been steady and Charles, I bring this up all the time. Charles Woodson once told me that if a defense gives up less than 24 points, you should win that football game. They've done their job. And the Falcons, by that metric, have done their job every single game to this point. Um, and I think that a continuation of them playing in sync, understanding what they're doing, I think can only make this defense better as we move forward. Their stamina is there, too, because – as we already mentioned, the offensive woes, they're getting on and off the field, and the defense yeah. is spending more time on the field. That like, the, that fact that they're able to withstand that level of play that often is good news for them moving forward. It's just, I mean, it's not ideal, obviously. They don't want to be on the field all the time, but they're getting the job done when they're out there. My thing, too, is that like this actually isn't – this whole idea of keeping opponents, you know, what you consider to be low scoring in the NFL – this is actually even a carryover from last season. Right. If you think about the last, I want to say, like eight games, there were very few times, if hardly any at all, that there were more than 21, 20, let's say 25 points scored against this defense. And that's with a completely different look defense, a completely different coordinator. The fact that that has carried over into 2023 with new pieces and everything, they, that that to me just speaks to like a culture that has been – built in Atlanta around the defense and that's something that I don't know like I I think it's really cool to see and something that we haven't talked about in Atlanta for a long time is how consistent this defense has been yeah and that's a positive and I I think that they can still improve in terms of those game-changing plays in terms of getting sacks and creating more takeaways but the steadiness has been impressive I think Jeff Okuda in his first extensive playing time against Jacksonville looked like the athlete that the Falcons hoped that he would be somehow Nate Landman has stepped in when Troy Anderson got hurt early and I think overall this group looks good and I'm sure that they would even say can do even better yeah there's more out on the table for this defense I know we're we're kind of being like oh they're so steady and they're they're so consistent but there is a lot still left for this group to do you want more takeaways you want to limit those explosives um, I think, you know, going back to even the Green Bay game, those those key penalties and pass interference calls, like you want to limit those. I, I think that there is a lot left for this defense to do and, and aspire to be. But so far, they've done enough, in my opinion, to set up the offense in really good, consistent ways. And the offense hasn't answered. The defense is so new, too. I right. Mean, we're talking so highly about them, and this is a unit that has a bunch of new pieces, a new defensive coordinator. So the fact that they've been able to put it together so quickly is impressive in and of itself. Yeah. Because you're saying the thing that carried over from last season is that low scoring of opponents. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing that basically carried over here because it's a different look defense. Right. Yeah, and the thing, if you go over the last two games, which were both losses, and you, you talk about this new scheme and coming together, the – Two of the touchdowns that have been allowed by this defense um, were an explosive to Sam uh, Laporta Mm -hmm. in Detroit that looked like a busted coverage or a miscommunication. I think the same thing can be said of Calvin Ridley's touchdown in Jacksonville. 
AJ's never that far from somebody right. unless there's a miscommunication about help. So those things, I think, are fixable. We're yeah. not talking about talent issues. AJ got torched. That's not what that's we're not what saying. Happened. That's yeah. not what's happening here. And I think that that's another sign of, of, of optimism because, to Taryn's point, they're going to figure those things out. Mm -hmm. Now, another positive is obviously – Bajan Robinson, there was a great quote from Arthur Smith in uh, Monday's virtual press conference where he said that he that he uh, plays and looks like Allen Iverson sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, our amazing uh, digital team kind of did like a, a, a merger sort of a thing of AI crossover and then Robinson embarrassing a Jaguars linebacker. And he, he has that type of ability. He's so fun to watch. Um, you know, 53 carries, 318 yards. He's gone over 100 twice, 19 receptions for 134. The guy's been really good. Yeah. He's just breaking records or, like, notching himself in the history book for the Falcons already four games in because I know with Falcons take off each week, it's like, oh, all right. Who what did, new did Bajon do? do this right. week? What yeah. can be my stellar stat number one? Right, yeah. <laughs> and it's literally because he is performing on the field and he's – basically doing exactly what the Falcons expected to do when they draft him in the mm -hmm. first round. He's uh, getting – they're getting his their money's worth out of him. <laughs> right. So many words there. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're so right. And I think, like, it's it's really cool, too, just from a personal standpoint of getting to meet Bajon Robinson. And I think we can all – we've all had conversations with Bajon. This is a very genuine human being and someone who I actually, like – very much so. Like being around. And I think that goes to something that we've heard offensive linemen say where they're like, he's slowly, but not even slowly, quickly. He's quickly becoming someone that we can trust and we like blocking for him and we like being around him. And I actually remember a couple weeks ago, I was talking, I think it was after the Green Bay game, I was talking to Dwayne Ledford, who's the Falcons offensive line coach. And I, I brought that up and I asked him, I was like, you know, what what is it about Bajan that, you know, allows this offensive line and probably the offense as a whole to feel like they can trust him and, and feel good about blocking for him. He's like, because he makes things happen when they're not supposed to happen. He creates things that aren't there. He creates mm -hmm. opportunities that just aren't there. And so if you are a lineman blocking for him, if you're out wide as a receiver blocking for him, you kind of feel really good that even if you're not 100% doing your job, like he's going to make something happen. And we've seen it time and time again. And I think it goes to your point too. The Falcons drafted Bajon Robinson with the number eight overall pick in this year's draft. And he's exactly what they drafted. He's exact. Every conversation that I feel like we had with scouts during the draft process was like, when you see him in person, he feels different. He feels like the best player on the field every time he stepped on the field for Texas. We're four games in, and it feels that way for the Falcons, too. One thing that his teammates say, because you mentioned how they're saying he's quickly becoming a huge part of the offense, the part that stands out to me most is whenever they say, he's someone you want to root for. Right. That goes with what he's able to do. His personality mm -hmm. combined. Yeah. It's not just, oh, he's an impressive player. It's like he's an impressive person. Mm -hmm. Like that is a genuine dude in the locker room. Yeah. And I think it's somebody that you want as a public face of your franchise you do. too. And I, I think that when you make a heavy investment at number eight overall, this is the type of return. This is the type of character that you want. And I think that – and he has this – some running backs who are elusive – still get hit like flush right like some right. some running backs 
take a pounding. I wouldn't necessarily say that Bajan gets hit like that, and I think over a longer haul, that's going to help him. I'm not saying that he doesn't take hits every time he touches the ball, but I'm saying that they are glancing blows sometimes. So he's been really good. and then, But you don't get to two and two by just being good at everything. There Mm -hmm. are pain points. We've already kind of talked about some of them, but let's take a deeper dive um, into – Let's do slow starts first so then we can talk about the passing game and Desmond Ritter like together. My turn. So we can introduce a new segment to the Falcons' final it, whistle. Um, it's a working title, but we can at least temporarily call it Talking Nerdy with Taryn. <laughs> and so, that was a uh, joke. Uh, well, now it's out there now on the record. Now it's <laughs> been Ooh, recorded. Like cozy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so Taryn is our resident statistician. Yes. And uh, please read Falcons Takeoff and uh, the Wednesday dailies to dive into the numbers. And in addition, in podcast form, we're going to get into what has been an issue in wins and losses. Mm -hmm. The Falcons have not started fast in any of these four games, and it's put them in a bind. They've been able to overcome it sometimes and and sometimes not. Well, we'll start just listing off their first drives Mm -hmm. offensively. Uh, Week one against Carolina, they had three plays for a net of negative six yards and punted it away. Against Green Bay, they had three plays for 16 yards. It ended in an interception. That was their first down that they picked up. Uh, Week three, three plays, eight yards, punted. Week four, three plays, nine yards, punted. So they're not getting going at all. And it's like the first three they passed on their first down. It wasn't until this past weekend where they ran the ball for the first time. I don't know if that's a trend or whatever, mm-hmm. but decisions there are being made. And it's like even when you go bigger picture with the first quarter versus the overall game, I mean, last week they had five net yards in the first quarter. Yeah, they finished good. with 287. That means they were averaging around 94 offensive yards per quarter in the third, fourth, and second. I went out of order with those right. numbers. Yeah, yeah. yeah, outside the first. <laughs> but outside the first, yeah. And it's just like you can't do that. And when you – like, the opponents weren't doing all that much better. No one has scored against the Falcons on their first offensive drive. But, again, none of them are undefeated either. So, when you look at the two undefeated <laughs> teams <laughs> – For those just listening, she just flipped her entire page over. <laughs> when you look at the two undefeated teams in the NFL right now, the Eagles and the 49ers, Eagles, first drive, week one, field goal. Week two, field goal. Week three, turned over on downs, but they picked up a lot of yards. So, it's not like it was three and out a dud. Mm. Week four, touchdown. The 49ers, week one, touchdown. Week two, touchdown. Week three, field goal. Week four, touchdown. Yep. There's a reason these teams are undefeated Mm -hmm. because once you get the ball going and get the game rolling, it's harder to stop than it is to start. Yeah. Well, something that's really interesting, too, it's funny because I think Taryn and I, we also live together. We're roommates, and we work together. We see each other a lot. And I feel like what Taryn does is so cool in terms of how she sees stats and how she can break them down and look at them. I feel like I'm the opposite. I, I focus a lot on the words that are being used. And I say this because I think that we actually can work off of each other in this extent because something that Arthur Smith said <laughs> after Detroit was that the Falcons didn't have a counterpunch. That was the word he used. He was like, you know, in, against Green Bay and against Carolina, we had a counterpunch. Mm-hmm. There was no counterpunch in Detroit. Well, there was also no counterpunch in London against the Jags but he didn't use the word counterpunch he used jump start that's a word he in his last two press conference he's probably used 
15 times yeah. the word jump start using jumper cables right mm-hmm. and i think like to your point about it's not necessarily like that they needed a counter punch they've gotten to the point now where they need to jump start the offense quickly mm-hmm. in their very first drive and that's something that like to me is like that's what's standing in in the way of this offense being what it knows it can be and what it wants to be is the ability to get to get this thing going in the first quarter, I mean, the stats speak for themselves. The first quarter has been a pain point for this offense, and against good teams, like the not saying that Green Bay and Carolina aren't good teams, but well, against, Scott did about Carolina, right? Yeah, <laughs> but against the Lions and Jaguars, you couldn't you couldn't ever get to the point where you could you felt like you could right the ship because they just kind of took the game away from you, and I I think like. That, that's the difference between the first two games and the second two games of, of this four-game stint that we're talking about is that, like, they were able to overcome the issues that they had in the starts against Carolina and Green Bay, but they weren't against the Lions and, and, and the Jaguars. And so I think for me it's like these are issues that have been issues for four games. How do you fix that when something has been an issue every single game? That's that's the the challenge that this coaching staff, the challenge that this offense has in front of them as they're about to get into games against the Texans and who's after the Texans? The Commanders. The Commanders. So you have opportunities ahead of you. You've got to right the ship because if you don't do it now, it's going to be really tough in the weeks ahead. Well, the difference between the first two games and the second two games, going back to the notebook real quick, was they didn't weren't behind after the first quarter. Right. Against Carolina it was zero zero entering the second. Against the Packers it was three zero for mm-hmm. the Falcons. But then in week four and week three they were down heading into the second quarter already. When you look at the undefeated teams again, mm-hmm. they're up in every single game come the second quarter. Yeah. Like it's just. Yeah, I I I think what it yeah I think what it comes down to is these elite teams that. We're talking about the 49ers and, and Eagles belong in that category. They are applying pressure mm-hmm. early. The Falcons are absorbing pressure, some of it from the opponent and some of it from themselves. A, a common question in the locker room in London was, and even um, to Arthur Smith in his press conferences, are they pressing early, mm-hmm. right? That, that the longer this continues, the more it becomes both an execution and a mental, mental. thing, right? And they insist that they're not, but it's one of those things mm. where you need confidence to be gleaned from a positive start. And I think that if you jump up, then you feel like, okay, because we saw when the Falcons were up, and I know this is Carolina again, but when the Falcons were, were up two scores, that pass rush came alive. Because yeah. they had they had opportunities, so let's give the defense an opportunity mm-hmm. to do what it does best. And when you're in a negative game script, mm-hmm. guess what isn't as effective your run in tr- game. your run game. Yeah, 100%. and that's the thing is that to your point about them working from behind the last two games, it's like you're in obvious passing down situations in these last two games against. Uh, all of the names, the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Detroit Lions, you're in obvious passing down situations. Everybody's like, well, why aren't they running the ball? Why aren't they running the ball? Because they don't have you time. Can. You right. can't bleed the clock like what they did against Carolina in running the ball and running the ball. Like, So it's you're getting away from the bread and butter and the foundation of what this offense has notoriously done well, which is put the ball on the ground and run it. So that that brings us to the to the other pain point. We can just lump in passing game efficiency 
and Desmond Ritter's performance through mm-hmm. four games. Yeah. Uh, Desmond Ritter will be the starting quarterback in week five. Yes. I don't think there was ever a huge doubt about Apparently that. Apparently there was. Yeah, I mean, Arthur Smith was definitely asked mm-hmm. about it. Um, so how do we evaluate the passing game to this point? It hasn't been as good as it needs to be. At some points, the passing is going to have to go win you a ball game, and it right. really hasn't done that yet. You have – there are a few kinks, I think, in the armor of the passing game. I think that's a good word, yeah. And I think that when I look at this passing game, I, I can't just put it on Desmond Ritter. I can't just put it on the offensive line protecting. I can't just put it on the routes being run or anything like that. It's collectively this – co- this passing game collectively needs to be better. And I, I go back to the Detroit game where everybody's talking about the seven sacks, seven sacks, seven sacks, and it's like, okay – It was a lot. Well, well, the point that I was going to make was that, like, everybody's talking about the protection, and even Arthur Smith was like, you know, there was probably one, maybe two times that Desmond Ritter held the ball for too long, but, like, we got to be better in pass-protecting situations. Well, then in London, it's like Desmond Ritter was sacked four times, and there were probably some issues that it probably was more so on his his part or the spe- and we go back even to the very very first week of the season against Carolina where Arthur Smith was talking about like spacing and timing issues in the routes it's not just like a one problem you bring in Taylor Heineke and for the fans calling for Taylor Heineke to come in for Desmond Ritter at quarterback it's like I don't think you make that switch and it automatically fixes the entire no. passing game and the offense is just firing on all cylinders that's not at all what I think would happen because this the issues are at every single level. And I, I believe that from conversations that we've had with coaches, conversations that we've had with players, that's how they feel too. You saw glimpses of the offense getting into a rhythm in those first two games, and I feel like those glimpses are gone. And that's where the sack count has gone up and the score has gone down. Mm-hmm. It's just like production down, something else up. Right, yeah. Something negative up. Right, like, yeah. It's just you – kept talking about the rhythm in the first game, the rhythm mm-hmm. in the second game. It's like, we got it in the fourth quarter, and it's like, that's why they were able to come back. Yeah. But that's not there. Mm-hmm. Maybe they got too comfortable thinking they could come back. It's like, oh, when our back's against the wall, we start firing all cylinders, and we're good. Well, what if your back doesn't reach the wall? What if you're already too far behind? You're in a different room. Yeah. Yeah, and ultimately, that's what has happened over the last couple of games, and I think Tori's point is a great one. It's not simply exchanging one player for another. And it's funny because a lot of people are saying, well, Desmond Ritter is putting the ball in, in harm's way too often, right? And it's leading to turnovers. Well, That's just you, recently too, though. Yeah, and it, you're right. Over the last couple of games, well, that I mean, Taylor Heineke puts the ball in harm's way a lot as well because he's going for it. He's mm-hmm. trying to put the like the like pressure on. And I think – it. I don't think it's doom and gloom because – as we mentioned with the defense, this is not a talent problem. Right. It's not like you look at the depth chart and you're like, well, well the, the Falcons aren't going to be able to put this together. This is, And that's the reason why I feel differently at 2-2 two and two at this point in the season this year than I did at 2-2 two and two at this point in the season last year. Right. I feel very different about where the Falcons are because of the level of talent that I do feel like they have. They had money. They pumped money into it. They have draft capital. They pumped draft capital into it. I mean, I, I truly feel very different about the construction of this team. Yeah, and I think because of that, when you look at the offensive line, there are talented athletes up there. We've, we've talked about these skilled players. Let's not forget, right, that Kyle Pitts 
tore a ligament in his knee last November. Right. Okay. Those yeah. things take time to recover explosiveness and burst. And you've got Drake London with, with two touchdowns. The, the, the weapons are here. And I think to piggyback off of what you were mm-hmm. saying is that because the talent is here, I think the scheme's pretty good. So it's just a matter of getting everything linked up so all the wires are sending electricity in the right direction. Wow. My yeah. analogy is really... For the jump start. Yeah. yeah. For the jump start. Yeah. Wow. I didn't mean for that to tie together, but it sort of did. This is my car back then. <laughs> um, I don't know anything about cars. So <laughs> now we're heading towards... And it's funny because the first sentence of my column from Sunday is that the Falcons just wrapped up their most... Uh, difficult slash competitive stretch right that they had green bay which is pretty good detroit and jacksonville i believe are very good again letting carolina slide <laughs> yeah well oh 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 and four is oh and four uh <laughs> but it's funny because an, another one of these well before the season when when you face houston washington tampa and tennessee you look at that and you're yeah. like well, that should be a walk in the park and maybe 4-0. And then all of a sudden, C.J. Stroud looks like an well, ace pitcher. That's the thing. Is- Sam Howell <laughs> makes incredible throws. Baker Mayf- Mayfield is in a career renaissance, and now Derrick Henry's throwing touchdown passes. My thing is, is like this Houston Texans game for the last few years, you were to circle this game and be like, all right, that, W. Yeah, w, automatic. But- to, but this Houston Texans team is coming into Atlanta probably feeling as good as they've felt in a long time. And that that matters in terms of what you when were you saying, him, yeah. like in terms of confidence, like building confidence. This is a Houston, Texas team that probably feels pretty dang good. Yeah. So it th- there is difficulty ahead. You can't just waltz right past these teams Mm-mm. anymore, especially with what we've seen, even if they're 500 or around that. These teams have all played pretty well. They all have talent, and you're going to have to figure it out quickly. So It is a yep. bi-week league. Yeah. But the next two are home. Do we think the Falcons are going to stick to this home winning scheme? I mean, I, I think that, that, that the team feels more comfortable, and with the crowds that we've seen recently mm-hmm. with some passion behind them right. uh, has been an important factor as well. I'll also say, like, it's been for the last two years, Arthur Smith has made a point to not just the media but to the players themselves that, like, we want to make Mercedes-Benz a place that people fear coming and playing in. We want to be good at home. That's something we very viciously care about is being good at home. So you have two home games coming up. And be vicious. Yeah. Don't slide backward. Yeah. Right. Forward. Yeah. And and have a chance to kind of end this two game losing streak, stay above five hundred, mm-hmm. keep the pressure on the entire NFC South, which started really hot and is kind of falling back mm-hmm. into more of a pack. So I think this is a really good evaluation of where the Falcons are, sitting at two and two, what need what's going well and what needs to get better. Uh Tori Tarrant, thank you so much for uh, joining us here as we are heading towards the second quarter, for lack of a better term, of this season. Thank you so much to Zaxby's for an awesome lunch and for being the presenting sponsor of the Falcons Final Whistle podcast. So now that we're wrapped up, do what you do. Rate, review, subscribe to the Al- to the Atlanta Falcons podcast network on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, please give a subscription to our YouTube page. Not only are there cool podcasts like Falcons Audible, Falcons in Focus, and this one, I mean, our video team is just like the greatest thing ever. Right. So please uh, check out all the content, and we will talk to you after the Texans game on Sunday. See ya.